Hello again as we return after a week away from the microphone. And it felt like a month, Joseph. I'm Denver 7 traffic anchor and traveling advocate, Jason Luber. Well, at least one of us gets to travel. I'm pedestrian advocate Joseph Peters. How was your excursion? Well, it was it was good and bad. Uh, Gina and I took a uh, took the kids to Florida. Uh, we first went to celebrate my father's 80th birthday, and then we also went to Disney World for a couple of days. Flew out of Colorado Springs rather than over at Denver. How did that work out for it you? It was great. I actually I, I really like. It takes about 10 minutes longer for me to drive down there because I live on the south side of town. But uh, to park, to check in, to get down there, there's very little traffic. There's it's so easy just to park, walk a hundred yards right into the terminal, check in, barely anybody there, go through security, barely anybody there. You walk another, I don't know, fifty yards to the gate, and boom, you're on the plane. Now, is this a direct flight, or did you wind up oh, having yeah. to catch a? La- it is. Oh yeah, no direct flight. The, Frontier is doing a lot of direct flights from the Springs to other places now, especially from the Springs. Okay. Um, it, but it's so easy. I mean, really, honestly. It is one of the better airports, better than the large airports. Like coming back through Orlando, it was a half an hour wait through security. Oh, absolutely. Any of those large airports, you're going to wind up with a giant bottleneck. When we flew out of, we used to fly out a little one terminal airport in eastern North Carolina where you would walk in and you were the only flight for every two hours. Yeah. And so they would just line everybody up in the waiting room. There was no holding area. You went straight from the waiting room through security and walked onto the plane. It is such a joy compared to the large airports. I mean, it's great. It, yes. it, but in the plane, I set it up. I, ha- I have my wife and, and my two girls in one row together. And then I sit across the aisle because I, I like to be with them, but I can't because they only have the three seats together and then the one. So it's kind of like we're all together, even though we have the aisle between us. And because I took Frontier, I paid that small fee to pick out our seats. Because it's better than waiting until you check in and, and them assigning you a seat and then the the chance of having the whole family scattered all over the pl- – you can't do that mm-hmm. when you have little ones. You can't scatter us all over the plane and not be together. So I get up to my seat. There's this woman right there in the window seat in my row, and she asked if I'd be willing to move up towards the front and take a seat up there so her daughter could, could sit with her in, in that row. Well, I look – the teenager, the, the daughter was a teenager. I mean, she could easily just sit by herself. She probably would have rather just sat by herself and listen to her iPod or, or do whatever, play her video games on her phone, whatever she was doing. She was fine. Mm-hmm. And I, I was reluctant because then I wouldn't have been able to be with my kids, and I want to be with the kids. Thankfully, before I had to answer, this guy in the row in front of me, it was the exit row, uh, he said he would move if I would be willing to sit in his seat, and then he would go up to the front. And I said, all right, so I agreed. I get a little bit more leg room, compromise. Okay, that's fine. Did you get any cash? Actually, the flight attendant said because of my accommodation, because I was willing to do that, uh, she gave me a free drink. There you go. So I got that. Here's the problem, though. The guy was getting out of the aisle seat from the exit row. The problem was the guy in the middle seat in that exit row. I saw this guy at check-in in the terminal. He looked like he was a few drinks short of a blackout. He um, <laughs> was definitely on something. And, and it started off bad the first time I saw him because he was wearing a Gronkowski Patriots jersey. I mean, right there, that's offensive in itself. It tells you a lot about a person when they're the player that they chose to spend their jersey money on is Rob Gronkowski. Yes. But when he was getting in the plane, he was talking on his phone, and he wouldn't even hang up when he was trying to put his bag in the overhead storage, and he didn't even hang up when the flight attendant was trying to give him some instructions, because when you sit down in the exit row, you're asked to verbally respond to the flight attendant, can you 
perform these actions and here are the actions you need to do. And so she's actually talking to this guy and he's still on the phone and just completely blowing her off. Well, I I sat in the, the, so he sat right there in the uh, middle seat. I was in the aisle seat and as soon as I sat down, he smelled like a freshly smoked cigarette and his eyes were kind of glassy. Now, look, smoke if you want. That's fine. I, I, when I was in college, sure, I had some cigarettes when I was drinking. I get it. All right. I'm, I'm just not a fan of smelling smoke in close quarters for a long period of time. Hey, do, do you realize that there are people within this building that smell of cigarette smoke so heavily that you can smell it when you take the elevator out to them? Yes. Yes. Or when they go into the bathroom. Oh, yeah. No, when they yes. leave, it's because they have just freshly smoked, gone into the, and then it's just radiating off them. It's, to, it's gross. Well, it was at that time that I was really cursing my decision to give up my seat. But moments later, one of the flight attendants, she leaned over me and she was asking this guy if he was okay. And she asked him if he had been drinking or been using any other drugs. He said he had just slammed a beer in the terminal, but that was it. I wasn't so sure about that story. Uh, And neither was the flight attendant. And she left and went up to the front. And I'm thinking, okay, great. Here we go. Here here comes four hours with this guy, this Patriots guy. Now, I'm hoping that he's just going to be quiet. I'll have to deal with the smell. Maybe I'll get up a couple of times and get some fresh air, whatever. Maybe he'll take a nap. Maybe his head will fall onto oh, your on shoulder. On my shoulder, that'd be perfect, yeah. But just about two minutes later, one of the baggage handlers comes right down the aisle and, and, and asks that guy, he goes, hey, where, hey dude, where's, where's your bag? And so he goes, it's up there. And so the baggage handler opens up the bin, the overhead bin, grabs the bag out, and says, hey, hey, would you just come with me? And so here, <laughs> you know where that's going. Yes, and all I'm thinking is I'm going to have to front row seat right here to another piece of being drug off a plane. This whole scenario with the kicking and the screaming and the potential lawsuits and viral videos. I was I was front row, ready to go, and so I did the natural thing. And I started rolling video on my phone. This is impressive, man. <laughs> I've always wondered how people have the foresight to start rolling video when there's bad things oh, happening. Oh, no, I could se- Oh, I could sense this. And I tell my wife, I say, oh, yeah, you get your phone rolling, too, because this is going to be good. We're going to want so two angles have, and jump cuts. Two, right, exactly. So she can get paid for her video. I'll get paid for my video. I'll send it right to the station. It'll be great, right? Because anything I shoot probably would be... I don't know, not property of the station, but at least they would want it. They'd get first exclusive rights to it, and scripts would have anyway. Yes. So, so uh, thankfully, the guy just got up with really no problem, uh, walked down the aisle and off the plane, off the without any incident. I still have the video if you want to see it sometime. Really? Yeah. Maybe I should post it. I don't you, know. you absolutely should post it. <laughs> I could t- I, look. Were there I, cheers? There. Well, I could tell you this. I was so relieved by this guy getting off the plane. The woman across the aisle was telling me how glad she was that he was gone. The guy in the window seat was, like, super glad that he was gone. And it it would have been a rough four hours having to sit next to that guy. But the seat didn't stay empty for long. So I'm thinking, all right, it's going to be great. Hey, we got a, you know empty seat here. We're going to you know, stretch out, going to relax a little bit right here. But it was a Frontier Airline pilot who then came from the back. He guess he was going to sit in one of the jump seats. And he comes up and he sits right there in the in the, in the seat next to me. And sure, I didn't get to enjoy the extra space, but if I'm going to have somebody sit next to me, I want it to be a pilot from the airline that you're flying on. So conspiracy theory, the flight attendant just found the least desirable person on the plane and threw them off so the pilot could get a seat. I thought the exact same thing at at part of that flight. (laughs) I thought the exact same thing because the pilot was telling me he was going to have to sit in the little jump seat in the back. And then they were looking, well, this guy's kind of questionable. 
let's just go ahead and just make that call right now, <laughs> get them off, and then we have an extra seat for the pilot. Love it. Yes. Good work, Frontier. Because, look, he was he lives in the Springs, this guy, but he's actually based out of Orlando, which is weird. So they actually had to fly him from the Springs where he lives to start his work week in Orlando. And then, uh, then he goes and flies his planes to wherever. And during one part of our conversation, we talked about how he sees the airline industry going, and I thought that was pretty interesting. He thinks eventually all the domestic trips will be handled by these smaller, low-cost airlines like Frontier or Southwest or Spirit or JetBlue. And the big airlines, like United and American and Delta, will be for international flights, maybe some cross-country business travelers, that sort of thing. But he thinks Frontier is going to be one of the winners now that they're expanding to these new routes and, and, and people are going to get used to the a la carte fee structure. Because he thinks that's the way a lot of the airlines are going to be going. Maybe Southwest, he said, is going to just stay with theirs as a competitive um, difference between all the other ones. Mm-hmm. But he says now we as passengers need to really look at the overall price. So you have to price out what the flight is, what your bags would be, any snacks, um, what your price of your seat would be, all that stuff when you're buying the ticket. So you can see the overall price and not just compare on the, all right, this flight segment costs $170, not all the extras that you have to pay for it as well. Right. Well, and that's one of the things with Frontier is that they're, their initial ticket costs seem so low, right. but that's because you're not adding the $25 per bag. Or the $12 for the seat, and then the $3 for the snacks, and the you know all the other different things. And then even fees to carry on your bags. And not just $3 for snacks, but it's like $3 for the can of soda that you get for free yeah, on other yeah, planes. Yeah, that's right. But it's built into their airline, or their uh, airfare structure. So he says that's what you have to do when, you, when you're comparing flights now. Uh, but still, for just over 200 bucks a person, they took me and my family to Orlando and back. I mean, that included our, our seat price and the bags and some apple juice for the kids. So I, I thought that was pretty reasonable for, for flying. I mean, think about that. You're getting on this huge aircraft where you have people working on the thing, and they're filling it up with gas, and they're flying you across the country four hours uh, for a couple hundred bucks. No, I think it's a great – I mean, it beats driving from Colorado oh, yeah. Springs to Orlando. And really, it was $200 round trip, so uh, just a little over 100 bucks a segment, which I, that's pretty good. Well, I mean, you're flying off-peak, though, right? Mid-October is not exactly right. the most booming travel time, so you do get a slightly better deal than if you were trying to do that same trip in August. Right. So the first part of my trip, I rented a car from Orlando and then drove up to St. Augustine. That's where I have some family up there. And, and wow, they are really tearing up the highway in Orlando. It is a serious big-time project, and they're doing this massive road project there. And if you think people drive fast in Colorado, just try Florida. Really? Yes. Uh, Even where the highway is crowded, when I was on I-4 Orlando up to I-95 towards Daytona, average 80. Interesting. And then up on I-95, the average was even higher. I mean, at least 85 miles an hour. See, because anecdotally, I would say the Colorado drivers are more reckless than anybody else I've ever seen. So No, Florida is pretty bad. Interesting. But here's the thing. I think most people now are using the Waze app. Or uh, it's, it's, it's got to be Waze because that's where you can report all the police and the speed traps. And it, it was interesting because I was watching it, too. And then we were coming up to an area where there was a, supposed to be a speed trap. And I could see people, drivers, slowing down. 
because they must have been watching the app. And then you'd go past the cop, and then everybody's speeding again. Um, so it really is changing the way people speed and get around these uh, these patrols. Well, it gives them more of a heads up, right? Because back in the day, everybody would just see the police car and then know to slow down. And now right. you see it a little bit earlier because it's flashing up on your phone. Or you have the radar detectors, and you hear those things going off all the time, yep. right? Uh, when I got back to Orlando and back to Disney, we returned the car, stayed at a hotel near downtown Disney, maybe 15 minutes from the parks there. There was this free shuttle bus that came around about every 30 minutes that went to the parks. But I budgeted to use Uber and Lyft. And overall, my experience was pretty good. And, and one of the reasons I, I wanted to try the rideshare thing was I, I wanted to see how I liked it. Uh, because we do the podcast so much and talk about it so much. So I, I wanted to see how, how it really works in, in practicality and, and ha- how good it would be for my family. Right. But I also really don't like public buses. it's a waste of my time to make stops at other hotels and buses are generally slower uh, than the cars going to the same place. And that bugs me watching that watching a car go faster than me on the bus to the same place. and, And we're sitting on the bus in most cases in silence because nobody really wants to talk that loud on a bus, right? Unless you're it, that guy who wants to talk on the phone on the bus the whole time. Right. And then getting to the destination 10, 15, 20 minutes later than the people in those in, in those private cars, it, it kills me. You just explained in a nutshell why the bu- public bus system has not really been able to catch on across America. Time is a precious commodity for me, Joseph. Yep. And, and I just don't like wasting it. And that's the thing. It, there's nothing that's a bigger wake-up call than when you're on one of those, when you ride one of those buses consistently for like three months at a time, six months at a time, whatever, and you ride it to go to the same place, and then you drive to that place for one time in three months, and and you got there 15 minutes faster. And all oh, yeah. of a sudden, you have this extra time that you don't know what to do with. And, and, and to your point, I also don't like people. I mean, that's it. Well, okay. I, I, I like Not some, bus people. I like, <laughs> I like some people. I just don't like crowds of people. Because when you have to deal with all these people on a, on a, on a bus, especially a, a bus that goes to a, a Disneyland Park, Disney World Park, I mean, you know the theme park bus is going to be busy. Now, on a city bus, there, there's a potential for a crowd. However, you don't always get the crowd, and you don't know necessarily know if that day you're going to get a crowd or not on the bus. So you might get lucky, but the potential is there. But at, at Disney, you know that all of those buses are going to be just jam-packed, especially when leaving the park at the end of the night. Yep. They are going to be overloaded. I mean, leaving the Magic Kingdom, we had the option to take the monorail over to a hotel and grab a cab or ride share there. Or we could take the ferry back over to the transportation center, and that's where we could get a cab or a ride share. So we were dropped off in the morning at this transportation hub, and then we had to get either on the monorail or the ferry. And the monorail, the line was too long, so we took the ferry across, and it was just jam-packed full of people. It was – it was, and, and, and having a double stroller – because oh. I wanted to save, I wanted to save the le- the legs of the kids, so I rented one of these double strollers before you get there, um, and it, it saved the kids' legs. But it is also very difficult to navigate through crowds with a double stroller. Absolutely, that's full of two children. It it was it's very tough. I mean, Disney. Look, I don't like hot. I don't like people, and that's exactly what I had when I was in Disney, because all the people and the hot weather. It made it, for me, the not the happiest place on earth when you're trying to get, especially out of the park. Absolutely. Well, in Orlando, it's so tough. to. It's not really near a beach, right? It's kind no, of in the middle of it's Florida. it's right in the middle of Florida. Yeah, so you you can't take a day off from Disney and just take a beach day, which is something that, as a Colorado, I now value more than anything yeah. because there are no beaches within a 1,000 miles. Disney would be great if they could cap the number of people coming into the park to, like, 500 
All right, that's not realistic. And then you could auction off tickets instead of selling them at a set <laughs> price, and it all of a sudden it costs two thousand dollars to go to Disney World. But they should have some kind of cap. I, I mean, there had to be tens of thousands of people there. I mean, when you have to rot, wait for the carousel for twenty minutes, it's too <laughs> crowded. The carousel. Nobody wants to ride the carousel except for my six-year-old. The flying Dumbos, right? And it's uh, the flying Dumbos. That was a twenty-minute wait. <laughs> Actually, the really cool thing about the Dumbo is longer than that. We, you go into that uh, area and you get one of those same kind of buzzers that you get when you go to uh, one of the restaurants. And you get to play in this whole big indoor play area. Okay. And then, so you're over there waiting for 20 minutes, whatever it is, your buzzer goes off. That's smart. And then you give it back to the people, and then you have a very short queue to then go get on the ride. I thought it was brilliant. And all brilliant. the lines should be like that. It was, it was great. It was really great. It's hard on the kids to wait that long, mm-hmm. especially for the long rides. I mean, 20 minutes for them might as well be two hours. Yes, well, and the rides aren't that good. Like flying right. Dumbo, twenty minutes for flying Dumbo's. Like they have flying Dumbo's at the county fair. Yeah, and I can just ride it over and over again because there is no line. Because the rides last maybe ninety seconds, so you're doing all that waiting twenty, thirty, forty, sixty minutes for a ninety second ride. Yep. Honestly, they have to do it this way to get as many people on on those rides as possible. That's why they only give you the short rides. But still, they I, maybe they should just cap the people. By the way, I think there should be designated lanes for no stopping when you're walking at a theme park. Yes. I was so aggravated by people who would just stop walking for no apparent reason. They it, Right there in the middle of the path. I encourage these lanes not just at theme parks, but also on city sidewalks, also in hallways at buildings, basically everywhere. I want somewhere where I can go if I want to walk and somewhere where the stoppers and starters can hang out. Because then you have to quickly look for an escape route. Uh, and, and you have to make these evasive maneuvers around the people, especially if you have a double stroller, as I did, full of two children. And getting around the people is even tougher when you're when you, when you're just when you're trying to navigate this large. It's just awkward. It's hard. <sighs> very frustrating, Jer- Joseph. Very very frustrating. I mean, really, it, the, the stroller was great for the kids, but it was tough on me. How'd you get the stroller out of the plane? I didn't. I rented it there. So you can. Ah. You, so you rent it, and they drop it off at the hotel, and then you leave it at the hotel when you leave, and it cost me, I don't know, 80 bucks for the four days. That's got to like that. be a lucrative business. Oh, it's I was, huge. I was thinking, you put that stroller in the overhead bin, you're no, all of a sudden you're no, a... No, no, yeah. no. No, you can take strollers and that sort of thing on the plane, but and they usually don't charge you for it. But no, I wasn't going to take a stroller. Uh, no, and I was going to be right only there at the parks. Uh, look, it, it's not really feasible at those parks to have two separate walking areas, like one for stopping and one for not stopping. Um, but it had crossed my mind several times that it would be nice to have a designated lane for those people who just want to randomly stop, check their map, talk, look at the interesting people in the park. There are so many interesting people at the park to look at. Yes. very. It was interesting to see uh, when I was posting something on Instagram and then you look at the search for the area you are in. And you could see the other people that you're with in the park taking pictures and posting them on Instagram. Can I just go on a slight tangent here? 20-year-olds and 30-year-olds do not need to go to Disney for personal pleasure. Oh, they were there. Oh, they are there. I have a lot of friends who love Disney World. I have one friend who works there now. You may have seen him sweeping up the sidewalk. But, man, like that is not – we are old enough, millennials. I hear you. I see you out there. We are old enough to go on vacation to – Europe and other places that have more cultural benefit than Disney. Oh, and then they would dress up. I saw this one woman, easily in her 30s, 
at, dressed up as Snow White. Why? Didn't look like Snow White. <laughs> Didn't even come close. But she was dressed. Uh, there was, and then all the T-shirts are. You have these families with the matching T-shirts or the cute T-shirts or the whatever. So they have to be. You know, the big group of people always have the same shirts. See, but that I'm fine with. Because there's kids with them. I like being in the big 20 to 25 per- person group, like a family reunion that goes to Disney World, and they're all wearing like a family picture on their stomach. Yes, that's what they, yeah. I'm okay that. with that. I'm okay with that. Well, we went, uh, see, my kids have an October break. I, I usually like it. Usually less crowds and that sort of thing. It's a good time to get away and not deal with the summertime crowds. But that wasn't the case this time. It was really crowded. It, it was really one of the most crowded times I've ever been down there. And then it was so hot. It, it was extreme, like low 90s, 95% humidity hot, like survival mode hot, where you're so hot and you've been pushing the stroller for, I mean, you're just chugging water as much as you can. And you get into that survival mode, like, I am just so hot. Just get me indoors any way you can. Yes. Sweat, I mean, you sweat moments before you even get outside. Body and soul draining hot. That hot. Well, where they keep the AC running at like 55 degrees, so yeah. you get immediately cold when you walk into a building. I, I prefer being in the drier desert heat if I'm going to be really hot. Um, it made la- waiting in line terrible. Now, at Epcot, waiting in line, you're mostly inside the cool building, so that wasn't so bad. But at Magic Kingdom or Animal Kingdom, you're outside waiting in these lines, and it is hot, and it's brutal, and it's no fun. And this is going to sound like I'm a huge fuddy-duddy. But I, I don't ever have to go back to another Disney park ever again in my entire life. Unless maybe it's less crowded. Because if you strip it all down without the, the princesses and, and, that's, and, and that sort of stuff and the Mickey Mouse and the princess stuff, it's really just, as you said, a county fair. It's the Elitches. It's a, just an amusement park with these, these, these rides, and then they're dressing it up with all the princesses and the stories and the... Uh, characters and all that stuff. And I agree with you, but what I what I fear most of our listeners just heard was Jason hates Mickey Mouse. <laughs> I don't hate Mickey Mouse. I like Mickey Mouse. I like Epcot I, too. Can I tell you Epcot's number one on yes, my power? I love I love Epcot. And I told my wife that I'd rather go on on holidays like Thanksgiving or Christmas, but uh, I, I have a feeling those days are probably more crowded than just regular days. Thanksgiving and Christmas themselves, I don't think, are more crowded. They are probably, like, slightly less crowded. But, yeah, I mean, the going on holidays theory is a brilliant one. Yeah. And the speculation that it was so crowded was that a lot of people had rescheduled their vacation from a couple weeks earlier because of the hurricane that rolled through there. And there was a little bit of hurricane damage, uh, but it wasn't that bad. Um, and that was mostly on the east coast of Florida and central Florida. Uh, so there were some down trees and some you know debris and that sort of thing. I'm just not gaga over Disney, and that's my problem. I'll, I'll do it for my kids because I love my kids. My wife likes it. My sister-in-law, she's crazy about Disney. Mm-hmm. I mean, you cannot say anything bad about Disney to her. <laughs> ever. Don't listen to this podcast. Yeah. Uh, so, But I would rather do other things for vacation than just do Disney stuff. And I wanted to mention something that I saw on the way back from Orlando. I saw someone with their little dog. It was one of these little white dogs in their little carrier tucked under the seat. And I noticed on the carrier, there was this little sign that said the dog was a service animal. And it didn't really look like a service animal to me. It didn't look like one of the golden retrievers that, you know, you're, you're leading the blind or, or helping somebody in those ways. And that reminded me of my brother and his wife, who usually, they didn't this time, I didn't see the dog this time, but they usually have this little dog that they take with them on their trips. And, it, and, and to avoid paying that extra fee that they have to when they take the dog on the trip, they registered it as a service dog. They said that the dog gives them emotional comfort. 
such a scam. It was a total scam, but they just, for a couple hundred bucks, they registered this dog as a comfort dog. And so now they can bring the dog on the airplane for free anytime they want. Can we, when are we going to do the undercover investigation where we take a hidden camera to one of the, you know how they have like the doctors that write you prescriptions for things and you don't have to do a whole lot of work and they blatantly advertise it? I want to go undercover with a camera to one of these pl- agencies that just says, hey, your dog's a service dog. Well, there was actually, I remember an article I, I read in the past, I looked it up. And I said that, that there's 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 more and more people passing off their pets as service animals and taking them on airplanes for free. Department of Transportation Act from 2015 that allows emotional support dogs, cats, and just about any other animal you can name for that matter to fly for free. And service dogs are highly trained for specific tasks. They're, they're really conser- considered working dogs by the ADA because they're really helping people in that way. But the tr- Department of Transportation regulations are, are have a broader definition of what a service dog is or an emotional support dog uh, or comfort animals all those therapy dogs they all fit under the dot definition not necessarily the ada definition so they can come on the uh, planes for free right and well and in therapy or comfort those are both very low bars to clear for most animals yeah i read somewhere that someone went online registered his childhood dog added his work picture that he used he uses his uh, work id picture as a human and he put it in the place it was supposed to be the photo of his dog. So, and, and presto, his, his long deceased dog, looking exactly like him, became officially registered as an emotional support dog. That's that's how screwed up the system is right now. Well, and it is to the point where you could literally print off any dog's picture on a piece on a piece of paper that you googled online, and you'd oh, probably yeah. be able to get onto most of these airplanes. And while while free flights for Fido are 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 boon to those doggy accessory merchants, um, and and for the passengers who want to avoid those flight fees for their animals, the downside are people who suffer from allergies. Uh, fearful passengers and, and incidents with larger dogs. I, I wouldn't want to see a much larger dog that wasn't trained as a service animal on the on the airplane. Um, in some cases, the passengers' comfort animals are making the other passengers really uncomfortable. You remember just a few weeks ago, there was this woman on the Southwest flight who was dragged from the plane because she complained that she had an allergy to dogs, and there were a couple of dogs, service dogs or emotional support dogs, on the on the plane, she told the staff when she was getting on that she has a life-threatening allergy, pet allergy, and so she wanted to know if there were any dogs on board. And after realizing there was an emotional support animal on the flight, or a couple of them, she was then asked to leave, but then she refused because she doesn't want to get off the plane. She's already on the plane. She doesn't want to get off. I mean, that's really inconvenient. Right. And then so the police came on board and, and forcibly removed her. Because they can't have somebody having a, an allergic reaction on the flight. Instead of just removing the dog, which is not supposed to be on the flight in the first place. Right. American Airlines say they have seen people bring on therapy pigs and therapy turkeys. Therapy turkeys. What is a therapy that you, you have something to eat later on? That it's going to be delicious on Thanksgiving and, and you know, help you take a nap? Is that the therapy for the turkey? I Turkeys just stress me out, man. Whether I'm cooking them or chasing them, either way. You know, it's it, you know because they, they have those therapy vests that you put on the dog for like well, I don't know twenty bucks. There's online stores that advise customers to get their deluxe kit for like two hundred bucks. Two hundred dollars can get you a paper certificate, ID cards, tags, an official leash, collar, vests, 
Can you get one for a turkey? <laughs> that would be great if you can get one for a turkey. They'd claw you up with their talons when you were trying to put it on. I mean, most people say that it's become clear that there's a uh, there, there's really uh, the the abuse of the system going on right now, and there needs to be better and stricter oversight that may include some maybe pre-screening and certification. Or, or maybe even size restriction and a list of approved species, because imagine having a therapy pit bull on board. I'm thinking more like a therapy snake, you know what I mean? Oh, Something sure. that could do some real oh, damage. Yeah, that, you bring uh, Samuel L. Jackson on board. <laughs> little rattle rattle. In August, there was a, a woman and her 13-year-old daughter on a flight out of Chicago. The teen started having some difficulty breathing, and because she, she has severe allergies to dogs. And they found out later there were four emotional support dogs on the plane. One dog was a Doberman with spikes on the collar. Another one was a Cocker Spaniel. That doesn't see. That, I don't. I've never seen a a. Well, I guess they're a therapy dog, but they're not like a ADA dog. Right. Um. And it, it's it ended up being put. The, the the two people ended up being put in a hotel, courtesy of American Airlines. They weren't drug off the plane, but they were given the meal vouchers and the and the flight voucher but still that woman missed an important conference that uh, for the place that she was flying to but uh, so here's what i think i'm going to try joseph with all this in mind i want to take t- try that same trick that one guy did register myself as a service animal and then I, I so i'll put my own name i'll put my picture on there and then i i'll have my wife bring me on board as her official emotional support dog and then i could maybe fly for free i'm a fan of this I don't, but would, did she have to cram me under the seat, under the seat there in front of her where her legs go? <laughs> I don't know. I mean, my golden retriever wouldn't fit, fit under the seat next to, in front of us, man. Yeah, so how do you fit? Because if I you have, have a Doberman ticket? on the plane, yet you can't put that in a carrier under the, so how, where no. are you going to keep the dog? The dog gets his own seat, obviously. Right. So maybe I can do it for my kids too, and then they can fly for free. We can do it. The whole family can fly for just one. I like it. I think it's a brilliant idea. Brilliant. Scam. All right. Well, anyway, you know how I love a good drunk person story? Uh, I have a doozy for you today. Our Casper police, Casper, Wyoming. Uh, Officers up there say they were uh, dispatched to a residence on East 2nd Street for a man who was stating that he was from the future and he was there to help people. They found Bryant Johnson, who claimed he was from the year 2048 and was trying to warn the people of Casper that aliens were coming next year and they should leave as soon as possible. He added that he wanted to speak to the president of the town. Usually towns only have mayors. <laughs> Johnson told police the only way he was able to time travel is because the aliens filled his body with alcohol and had him stand on a giant pad, which then transported him back to 2017. But he ended up in the wrong year. He was supposed to be in 2018 and not 2017. Officers noted that Johnson had watery, bloodshot eyes, slightly slurred speech, and the smell of alcohol coming from him. But, you know, it was the aliens that put it in him so he could time travel. It was determined that Johnson could uh, not take care of himself and was causing a disturbance in the emergency room. An early breath sample showed he had a BAC of .136. That's pretty high. That's a lot of alcohol to time travel. Johnson was arrested for public intoxication. Basically, he was claiming to be from the future, but was arrested for having too much to drink. In the present. Man, he cooked up that thing with, like, his friends at the bar. He was like, well, when the cops arrest me, I'm going to tell them that the aliens <laughs> got me drunk. And then they send me back in time. Well, what if the aliens do show up in Casper in 2018? 20, well, we'll see. I guess we'll see, won't we? When I, my, one of my like high school, 12 monkeys. My high school friend used to call drinking time traveling because you would start drinking and then you'd wake up and it would be several hours later. <laughs> 
blackout, and there's yeah, your time travel. There you go. <laughs> well, coming up, you remember the story where there was that person camouflaged as a car seat as he pretended to be, be in a driverless car, right? Okay. Well, all right. Well, anyway, we talked about it on the show a couple episodes back. Well, he speaks. The car seat speaks. And we'll bring you that in a very special not ready for a podcast players event as the driving you crazy podcast continues <laughs> I'm Adam Hammond, and you're listening to the Driving You Crazy podcast with Jason Luber. Oh, my favorite part about the morning show is not knowing what's going to happen. Literally, you can tune in, and you never know what's going to happen that day. Each and every day, something very interesting or comical happens. Dale Cedars, only on Denver 7. Hey, everybody. It's Eric Lufer with Denver 7, the morning show. Hey, watch us every morning, Monday through Friday, because, you know, I'm on it. Now, if I wasn't on the team... I would watch Denver 7 for the Jason Lisa bickering that they do every, every morning. They're like brother-sister. I love it. It, may, it adds to the dynamic. We're just a great team, and it's, people need to watch. Eric Luford, only on Denver 7. So we're young enough to hesitate. Welcome back to the world-famous Driving You Crazy podcast. That's right, we're heard all over the entire world. Good for us. I'm Jason, he's Joseph, and Wile E. Coyote miraculously has survived a wild 20-mile ride at high speed while all being lodged in the grill of a car that hit it. The driver said she was headed to work on a highway in Alberta, Canada. When the critter darted out in front of her vehicle, she said, I heard a crunch and believed I ran over and killed it. She kept rolling to her job a few towns away in Calgary until a woman at a traffic light flagged her down and pointed out her very furry hood ornament. She posted a picture on Facebook, but it has since been removed. She says, when I got out to look, this poor little guy was looking up and blinking at me. She called wildlife officials who rushed to the scene. A biologist performed a check on the coyote, determined it suffered no serious injuries, and set it free. Clearly, Mother Nature has other plans for that special little guy. Hopefully, hopefully the little guy could find his way back home and didn't know, and wasn't just hopping around the streets of Coyote of uh, Calgary trying to find his way back to suburban Alberta. <laughs> Two things about this story that are interesting: one, she hits a coyote; it just keeps on going. Like, eh, that's a Canada. Co- <laughs> yes, and the other one is that she did the right thing. She hit the animal. You're not supposed to swerve. You're not supposed to try to avoid it. If you can't, maybe slam on the brakes, but if you're going to hit it, hit it. She did the right thing. She did the right thing by hitting it. Because you, if you swerve, you see, we do these stories all the time about people who swerve off highways and then either get killed or maimed or whatever because they're trying to avoid an animal. Cute little squirrel was jumping in front of me and I had to stop. <laughs> no, you don't. You keep on going and if it gets squished, it's his problem. Yeah, squirrel. Serves you right. Rabbits, foals, varmints. <laughs> Rabbit season. Duck season. Duck season. All right. 
Uh, we've talked about the testing of air quotes driverless cars, where they use these drivers who are camouflaged as car seats to see how people outside the car, walking around, driving around, react to seeing these driverless cars. Well, the website Motherboard tracked down one of those drivers, and this is uh, basically what he had to say. For 20 hours in August, Andy Schott was navigating around Washington, D.C. He was dressed as a car seat in the front seat right there behind the wheel. Andy is the project director of the Automated Vehicle Systems Department at Virginia Tech at their Transportation Institute, working on an autonomous vehicle study that put up a regular car, this Ford Transit Connect van, on the roads of Arlington County with a driver that was camouflaged as a seat so that passerbys would think it was autonomously driving. These drivers logged 150 hours on the roads, collecting data over about 1,800 miles, recording everything with these high-definition cameras that were mounted around the vehicle. Well, the goal was to test how the cars that drive themselves might communicate using an array of, let's say, lights or signals with pedestrians and other drivers, and to see how the people in those vehicles or the people outside the vehicles react to this driverless car. The study might have gone unnoticed if not for that NBC Washington reporter, Adam Tuss. He was knocking on the van window, and, and he, when he did that, he saw nothing but a pair of hands and legs sticking out from the driver's seat. So Andy was asked several questions about the program. So how about this, Joseph? How about we do it this way? Joseph, you, you can be the question asker, and, and I will be Andy, or you can be Andy and I can be the question asker, however you want to do it. I will be happy to ask the questions. Uh, so, Andy... Why did you decide that disguising yourself as a seat would be the best way to do these tests? Is that your best Larry King? Yes. Well, we're very experienced in doing real-world data collection. We wanted to look at the ability to communicate with the intention to make it look like it's actually highly automated. We thought about just concealing the driver completely or having the driver in the back seat driving the car, but what we decided to go with was using psychology and misdirection in an attempt to conceal the driver right in the driver's seat. We needed to conceal the driver. Actually, a lot of different drivers in different sizes were going to drive this a lot. We needed to be a bit more advanced in the design of our suit so it could fit people in different heights, different widths, and have good visibility. It's just assembled with magnets. I can lean forward and it will all pop off so I can drive the vehicle safely in some kind of conflict. When somebody's looking in from the outside, the windows aren't tinted so they can confirm their suspicions. Wow, there's really nobody in that car. So uh, what were some of the reactions that people had while you were in the seat? Did people try to get your attention while you were in the car? No, but there's been some research out in the West Coast talking about people playing with the vehicle, jumping out in front of it and whatnot. We didn't experience anything like that. That reporter, Adam Tuss, tracked us down and was very intent on figuring out what was going on, but... That was really the only instance of that. For the most part, people were just doing, going about their day. When they observed this vehicle with flashing lights and confirmed that nobody was in there, they would just kind of stop, look, or pull out their phones and try to get video of it. But there wasn't any kind of concerning behavior. Now, how long were the shifts as the seat? Usually just a couple of hours and then switch off. We never did more than three hours per shift, usually a little less than that. We try to keep it around more active times in Arlington, so we do a morning shift when people are heading to the metro and going to work, then take a break, and around lunchtime, head back out and get the lunchtime crowd. Now that face mask headrest thing that you put on, what did it feel like looking out of that? We have two different ones. One for nighttime that uses some clear plastic and fabric over it, 
And then the daytime one that uses plastic with a little more of a sheen to it, like sunglass lenses. We put this fabric over it to match the black upholstery, so when you're looking in, it looks like it's really dark. But when you put your head in and look through it, you can see very well. Now, just from first impressions, what do you feel like you've learned? None of us observed anything that would make us concerned for safety. So with regards to lighting and signaling and communication, nobody was a deer in the headlights. So that's good. That's something we feel at least confident about, that there is no harm or safety concerns. Other than that, for the most part, people are going about their days. They're busy. And when they do see the apparently driverless car, they're moving across the sidewalk and maybe we'll stop afterwards. But there's no people screaming and angry about anything. There's been some concern about automated vehicles in the environment because people haven't experienced them. So I think this may be a valuable to look at later to see how people react when they see us. Automated vehicles may be very well accepted in these urban environments. There you go. There you go. There you go. There's your, there's your acting out. Uh, you know. <laughs> we do what we can here with a limited budget. But I do think it's interesting that... Uh, I should have finished it with saying, and seen. <laughs> break um you know it's interesting that there weren't many reactions to the car but i also don't think that's surprising i think people are ready for this kind of technology and they're not surprised to see it in action yeah i i agree i think you'll see a lot of that as when i was over there in disney and looking at the um the shuttle because in the parking lots the parking lots were just jam-packed because we were taking the um the uber and the lyft to the parks for the most part, they would drive us right next to where the parking lots are. And like at Disney's Magic uh, at the uh, uh, Animal Kingdom thing, it, it was just jam-packed. Well, anyway, they have these shuttles that drive around the parking lots and pick up people and then bring them to where the park entrance is. And those could easily be automated. Easily be automated. I, I could see those those being one of the first ones. And I think we've talked about that here in the show. Well, that's something that they've explored at Pepsi Center here in Colorado, right? Is having yeah. autonomous shuttles driving around that parking lot, not necessarily for the same purpose, but like you said, you could see it being used for the same purpose. Or like the 16th Street Mall, that sort of thing. But you know what? Added bonus for that guy? He has a perfect Halloween costume for this year. <laughs> right? I he, mean, just need, he just needs a car for it. <laughs> he could just be the car. You know, he could be the autonomous car seat. How perfect is that? I like it. All right, so do you think people would pay more in taxes to get better roads if they would be guaranteed that the money collected would go only to the road improvements and only to road construction? No, people don't want higher taxes. They'll lie. Yeah, you're right. <laughs> they just lie. They say that they want these things, but then they aren't willing to pay higher taxes for them. And I agree, because before I read this survey, I would have said no way as well. But but here are some surprising findings from this poll engineered by the firm HNTB, they say 7 in 10 Americans would pay higher taxes for better roads. And get this, that number increases to 84% if tax and toll increases are required to be spent on local infrastructure. Maybe that's where the key is, that people don't trust the government collecting their money and having it going to where it's supposed to be going. Well, and not just at the federal level, but also at the state level. I mean, here in Colorado, people on the western side of the state don't want to pay for tax increases because they think that the money would be spent on Denver roads. And I think people in metro, more metropolitan areas are worried that the money will go toward fixing rural roads and not the highways that are in use here in the city parts of the state. Because... Sorry, go ahead. No, it's just this never-ending debate about where's the money going to go, and you really have to fix things at a hyper-local level if you're going to fix anything at all. Yeah, exactly. And you know what? When you pay your 
tag fees to go get your license plate, you know, the little sticker you get on your license plate, you think that all of that money here in Colorado you pay based on the taxable value of the vehicle. So if you're buying a $30,000 car, it's going to be up in the four or $500 range. So, And it gets pretty pricey if you're buying a $60,000 car. You're paying $2,000 to get your license plate. And all that money doesn't necessarily go right to the roads. You might think so, but it doesn't. And that is very frustrating to a lot of people. Anyway, the HNTB survey also found that 73% support public-private partnerships as a way to maintain existing and build new transportation infrastructure. Uh, about half believe that the responsibility for funding maintenance and building new transportation infrastructure should be shared now by the government and the private sector, which is interesting. Because most, I think, if you ask old-timers, they would think that the government should cover all road expenses. Yeah, that seems fair. But now there are so many scams, to use that word again, to allow companies to profit off of just operating roads or building roads. I mean, you think about it. Some of these construction companies are really also long-term creditors because they're receiving these payments over a 30-year period that far outweigh the initial investment into the roads. And that's why they do it, because they want to make money and guarantee themselves making money for a long time. And and before we go any further with this, I I have to point out that this company, this HNTB company, they do this kind of work. They do these public-private partnerships and they're heavily invested in tolling. Uh, they're also part of the Denver International Airport Hotel and Transit Center that they just finished about a year ago. I, I'm not saying they manipulated the data, but they do have a dog in this race, and that needs to be said as you hear the rest of their survey numbers because when you hear a survey and they have some interest in what the survey numbers are, then just take that with, with a grain of salt. Well, and you can, you can get whatever results that you want to get. Yes, exactly. Because they say about 60% of the people are willing to pay a toll even when a free alternative is available to avoid congestion and to save time. And of those people, over half are willing to pay an average of $1.70 to use a priced managed lane, also called an express lane. That's what we have here. If it would save 15 to 30 minutes of time and avoid congestion and provide a predictable travel time. And just as a reference on the express lanes on the north side of Denver, there are two cost structures. One is with a transponder, the little thing you put in your car, uh, so it reads, it already knows what your license plates are and who you are, and it's like an automatic kind of billing thing. Right. And the other one, which just reads your license plate. Now, weekday, from 7.15 in the morning to 8.15 in the morning, that's the peak time, the transponder fee is $2.25. Without the transponder, $5.56. In fact, the lowest toll rate for drivers without the transponder is $3.58. The lowest rate with one is a dollar. And that's just for the 10-mile section of I-25 between Highway 36 and 120th Avenue. It's an additional 4.65 with a transponder or almost 7 bucks without one to go from Highway 36 all the way to downtown Denver, making that total trip cost from 120th to downtown Denver with a transponder $6.90. Without it, twelve dollars and fifty four cents. That that and that that's just look. I would estimate that's just a bit higher than the dollar seventy average people are willing to pay to use the toll lane. I, I didn't figure out the the cost to go to Boulder, but I'm sure it's going to be well over five bucks and probably double that without a transponder. And we always hear from the people with with the express lanes that that drivers are willing to pay for that choice. And I say, yes, they are. However, at a certain price. Because mm-hmm. when you're talking 
$12 to use the toll lane one way for one day? That's that's a crime. Yes. Do you think that it would be a different story if if they caught you going one way one day and then you were going back, their license plates would read that and all of a sudden you're only getting billed for one part, half of a round trip? Like a buy one, get one deal. Yeah, maybe. Maybe. That might make it... But they're not going to do it that way because no. they want to collect the toll. Well, now that I know it's only $12, honestly, to beat some of the traffic on days to get from here to Boulder, that does seem like something I'd be willing to pay. But you can also take the bus stang and not have to deal with traffic at all, and that's less than $10. Right. And so it, it, it all comes down to a price because when they say their average people would want to pay, is that $1.70? That's about right. Maybe two, two I, I would say people might go up to two fifty, maybe even $3 for a trip for a long distance, but not just for these little segments that then will add up to 6 or 7 or 8 or $10, whatever it is. Now, back to the survey from the HNTB, the, the conversion of general purpose interstate lanes to priced managed lanes is supported by, they say, 77% of survey respondents. <laughs> 77%. No, it's not. I, I mean, don't think I, so either. I just, you, that, one, that one's just hard to believe. And among that group, half believe that reducing congestion is the most important reason for this conversion. That's an increase from 43% of the same question asked in 2016. Now, when asked about how the toll revenue should be used... Reducing congestion was cited uh, by most of the respondents as number one, improving safety, number two, adding vehicle capacity, number three, and transit capacity, number four. 20% of the respondents would never support tolls on any existing highways or interstates. I'm still surprised by these numbers. Really surprised. I'm also a bit concerned that these numbers might be cherry-picked to fit into their business model and promote more public-private partnerships and more of these toll lanes. Because the problem I have with this model is is the, the tolls are way too high, as we just mentioned. They, they tell me every time I talk to them about that they want it to keep the lane clear. They want to keep the prices up to keep the lane clear. Well, there has to be a balance because the company wants to make as much money as they can. That's why they made the HOV lane three instead of two mm-hmm. to encourage more people to be in the toll lane and pay that toll. And they say it's, oh, well, we have to keep that lane clear and give everybody a, a great commute time. And that's why we're doing it. No, you're also trying to make a boatload of cash. Yes. It's just, I, I'm starting to sound like that guy who ran for New York City mayor. The, the, the rent is too damn high. The tolls are too damn high! It's true, though. I, 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 a free street beats a paid street any day of the week. Well, if, well, it's not technically free, though, because your taxes are paying for it. You just don't see it. Like you, because you're not writing Correct. out a check for it, you're not writing a toll bill for it. Correct. I'm not going to get a bill in the mail by surprise that charges me seven dollars because we accidentally got into an express lane one time. You know what I mean? Like that is frustrating to me. There's a lot of obstacles in the way of people consistently using these toll lanes. And you know, incidentally, I, I keep talking about how people try to avoid the tolls by jumping in and out of the lane around the toll area, because you clearly see it, and there's no barrier separation. It's just a line, and you can jump in and out. And not only do we have a lot of crashes up there, um, I talked to a guy who, we had one of the state patrol troopers down here uh, doing some public uh, deal here just a couple of days ago. And I was talking to him, and I, I mentioned this. All I said is, uh, and you know, the number of crashes that are up there on on I twenty five up at uh, up at you know Thornton Parkway. And he goes, yeah, I know. And <laughs> he's, I mean, he he was well. You should have seen his facial expressions. He was well aware of the problem 
of how many crashes they have, how many people are diving in and out. And he says basically there's no way to um, – there, there was no infrastructure built to, to uh, be able to have the troopers up there and enforce it. Wow. Yeah, I mean, it always works when you have a law on the books that you can't enforce, right? Or a toll on the books that you can't force yeah. people to pay. You can't. I mean, you can't unless you bear your separate, like E-470, some of the other toll roads. Or let's say you're on, when I was in Florida, in Orlando, they have a couple of toll roads. I mean, when you're on those roads, specifically, the whole road is a toll road, and you have to go to their little toll plaza. They still have toll plazas with people working in the toll plazas, unlike here. Job security. Yes. Um, but then they also have the toll lane, or the one that reads the, uh, the your little transponder there in Florida. But um, it, it's just a losing battle for us, though, because there's going to be more and more of these people that are going to want to have more lanes. And the only way that the state and uh, at least our state thinks that they can get more lanes is by doing these public-private partnerships and having toll lanes. Well, and making a whole lot of money for some of these construction companies. Like yeah. ungodly amounts of money for these construction companies who do have a vested interest in the political races, and this is where it matters how, where that political money is spent during campaigns. And, and we have to face it. There's more and more people in this world. There's more and more people moving everywhere and being generated. And the population is going up. And so that means we're going to have more congestion and more traffic and more people to deal with and slower uh, commute times. That's it. There's just no way to fix it. Let's just give up. Right there. Let's stop trying to fix it and just give up. I like Too it. many people. It's over. Tense. I'm tired. Tense. Walking. Tense? <laughs> uh, reminds me of that joke when, when the guy goes to the doctor and says, Doc, I'm, I'm a wigwam, I'm a teepee. I'm a wigwam, I'm a teepee. The doctor says, yeah, I, I know what your problem is. You're just too tense. <laughs> that's good. That's, I like that's that. a horrible joke. That is a horrible joke. That's a great way to end the podcast. That's what we're here for. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, hope you enjoyed the podcast again. Uh, this episode will be back again next week. I don't have time off until Thanksgiving. We are racing right till episode 50. No yes. time off till Christmas over here. There you go, because we have our big sweeps period coming up in a couple of weeks. Watch and it's Denver all hands 7. on deck, and, well, we'll scare you to death to make sure you watch the TV station. Anyway, thanks again for being here. Thanks again for listening and supporting the podcast. And uh, until next time, I'm the traffic guy, Jason Luber. I'm Joseph Peters, an advocate for parents in the dark. Be safe, and as always, happy motoring. <laughs>